0: I'm here to help you grow and learn as a resource room teacher. Are you ready? Let's dive in. Hello, hello, and welcome to episode number six. Today, we are going to be talking all things memory. We are going to talk about four different types of memory what causes weaknesses in each of those various types, what strategies you might use for students who are struggling with that, as well as what characteristics you might see from some of your students. So we have a lot to cover, and I'm gonna dive in with working memory. Working memory is probably what I was most familiar with kind of right out of the gate as a special education teacher. It's something that is measured on um, an IQ test. A lot of times, The school psychologist or whoever conducts that test will give students a series of numbers and ask them to remember them, put them in order from least to greatest, say them backwards, repeat them. So working memory is the ability to hold information in your mind and do something with it. For example, a student in your classroom might have to copy from the board. And so they would look up the board and maybe try to remember the next three words in the sentence so the cat is and they have to hold that in their mind and then they're going to write that on their paper they might see the math problem and think okay it says 342 okay now they have to go back to their paper and write down 342 and so students who have poor working memory might struggle to remember what they saw up on the board and write it on the paper They also might forget what the homework is. They might forget where to turn something in. They might forget something that yes, you just said it five minutes ago, but if we have poor or weak working memory, it's going to be hard to remember those things. It might also be difficult to remember multiple steps. They might be able to remember one, but to be able to hold that information in their mind and do step two and step three and step four that might be very, very hard for them because they're really only going to be able to remember the first thing and do the first thing, but not remember all of those steps. And if you've been listening to this entire math series, you know I have some strategies for those weaknesses coming your way. But first, I wanna talk a little bit about what causes difficulty in working memory. And there's no one right answer. What is the cause for one student might be totally different in another student. But I wanna start with what I think will be some of the most common. And that would be, or the most common reason is ADHD. So if you think of a student who has ADHD on your caseloader in your classroom, and you're thinking, man, they're going a mile a minute they're looking here, they're distracted by this, they're fidgeting with that, they're doing all these things. Imagine how hard it would be to listen to something that is said to you, hold it in your mind, and actually complete the task or do what you've been told to do with that information. Because really, your brain is already on to the next thing, already on to the next thing, and the next thing, and the next thing. So ADHD, I think, for a lot of our students who are struggling with working memory is probably one of the number one reasons but that's not the only player in that game it could also be things like a traumatic brain injury, a neurological disorder, a genetic disorder, some of those things that are maybe playing a factor in one or more parts of the brain and how they function. And so if the area of the brain that is focused on working memory or that that is its job is damaged or impaired or you know there is something genetically wrong with that area of the brain, naturally we would see weaknesses in working memory. And so for these students, I think we need some very special and very simple strategies to help them kind of conquer this difficulty of working memory. One strategy would be to chunk information into smaller bites. If you have four things that you want a student to do, do we really have to share all four steps at once? I know with my own children at home, sometimes I'll be like, I need you to clean your room and get your clothes out of the bathroom and do this and do that. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa one thing at a time because it's going to take her 30 minutes to clean her room and another you know five minutes to clean the bathroom she's already going to forget all the other things and so our kids are the same way if we're wanting them to work on their i-ready minutes and put their homework in their folder and turn in their math paper all of those things if they spend 15 minutes working on their i-ready minutes how do we know that they're going to remember what comes next and i'm guilty myself of wanting to say what do you do next? Come on, I you know, I told you this, but we have to kind of give them a little bit of grace and a break that, hey, we have to chunk this information into smaller pieces. And when that's not possible, comes strategy number two, use visuals. And if we're being honest as adults, if somebody tells you four things that you need to do You might remember two or three of them, but you also might forget one. And so smaller bite-sized pieces. What do I need to do first? What do I need to do after that? Take it one step at a time. And because we know this is hard, let's use visuals. Let's use to-do lists. Find ways to make it so that students don't have to hold all of that information in their minds. What can they do whether it be looking at a visual or writing it on a to-do list to help them remember what they're supposed to do. And I like to use an expo marker and write on a student's desk or their table. It wipes right off. I know some people writing on their desk just totally alarms them and they, they can't wrap their mind around it. But for me, I love to use that as a way to whether I am doing the writing or my students are doing the writing as a way to make a to-do list and you can just erase it as you're finished. I have literally been known to do this to myself or for myself with reminders of things that I need. And you know, maybe it's I need to print homework for second grade and I need to make sure that this student gets their packet of, of things and as they pop in my mind, I've got to write them down. And so for our students, we have to teach them that it's okay and adults do the same things. So use visuals, use to-do lists, help them chunk that information into smaller bite-sized pieces. Another strategy, but I'll be honest, I think is a little more difficult to make happen in everyday life, but another strategy is to make things multi-sensory. So if you can help kids see it, hear it, say it, do it all at the same time, it really helps them remember what all of those steps are. So in any way, shape, or form that you can use multiple senses, it really helps them remember what comes next. Then what? Then what? Oh, she wants me to do all of these things. So when possible, utilize multiple senses. I do feel, though, that this is a little more complicated. It's not as easy as just, oh, let me have you smell this. Well, it's a to-do list, okay? We can't, (laughs) that's not gonna help me remember. But use as many senses when possible. You can also incorporate songs, rhymes, mnemonics, anything that might help students remember things from point A to point B. Now, this last strategy is what really helps me or what helps me be able to remember things and what I've seen in a lot of students. However, for someone with a lot of known difficulties with working memory, I don't want to make it sound like this is a magic wand that's just going to solve all problems. But the last strategy is to reduce background noise, reduce distractions, reduce the the need to multitask, or just some of that external stimuli that might be distracting to our students. We know that students with working memory often have problems with ADHD. There are other factors already, and if we can reduce that background noise, the need to do 10 things at one time and make it so that they're only focusing on one thing at a time, that can significantly help their working memory. Now, I feel like all the episodes have tied so well into, here's what you need to know about this and here's how we can relate it to math. And this is a little more difficult. How does memory play into a student's ability to do math or specifically how is working memory going to tie into a student's ability to do math. And it plays a huge, huge factor in their ability to do math. So if we're talking about being able to hold numbers in our head um, and then do something with it, how is a student going to be able to solve basic addition facts? work quickly remember all of the steps in a problem remember what you said and then go do it at their seat holding that information and then doing something with it is incredibly challenging and a huge huge factor in everything that we do in math so helping students you know take smaller bite-sized chunks of material using visuals making things multi-sensory songs and rhymes and mnemonics all of those things are going to help students do better with math if we can give them the strategies to kind of overcome that ability to hold information in their minds. Working memory is often something that we see in a school psych report. It's just a factor in their IQ. And so we often see a score. We can see, oh, this is an area of strength or this is an area of weakness. And then you kind of now know what to do or what you might see in your students. But the next few things, in my mind, I'm sure there are ways that doctors measure each of these things, but it is not something that we as teachers have readily available to us so that we know, oh, this is an issue for that student. This is a weakness, this is a strength. So it's our job to kind of know the warning signs and see, hey, this student has difficulty with short-term memory or long-term memory. And then we need to have strategies and tools ready to help them be successful despite having difficulty in one or more of these areas. And so the next area that I'd like to talk about with our memory is our short-term memory. Your short-term memory is a system or a part of your brain that holds information for a limited period of time. So some examples of that might be, where did you park your car whenever you went into Walmart? What did you have for lunch today? What book you were reading yesterday? And then kind of what was going on so that you can pick up where you left off in chapter five today. So you're not holding it forever and ever, but it is important information that kind of helps you function in your everyday life. And because I'm kind of a nerd, As I was kind of preparing for this episode, I knew what short-term memory was. I had some ideas of how we could help students do better with, you know, if they had a difficulty in this area. I wanted to know why might a student have difficulty with short-term memory and so just a quick google search i'm not an expert in short-term memory but um, a quick google search revealed things that make sense and things that we totally see in our students so some causes of short-term memory difficulties could be drug and alcohol abuse concussions head trauma seizures epilepsy heart bypass surgery or basically any period of time where the brain may have been without oxygen. So I have a student, for example, that I knew short-term memory is an issue for him. I knew that that's something that we've been working on. and. Not until recently did I discover we were doing a re-evaluation. Um, he had previously been developmental delay and then it was approaching nine years old. So we did a reevaluation. and his mom had said that whenever he was born, his umbilical cord was wrapped around his neck and he had a lack of oxygen and may have even caused a stroke. And so with those two things combined, it's like that is a lot of activity going on in the brain and here is I'm simultaneously Learning and researching about the lack of oxygen to the brain and affecting short-term memory. I'm like, that's gotta be it. That has to be the cause of why he struggles with short-term memory. And so what would that look like in a student than in your classroom or in your resource room group? What would that look like? Most commonly, you will see students who do amazing in class or amazing in your small group. And then later they're working on homework or they're working on, um, you know, a weekly test, something that's just in the short term and they can't remember it. It's like we have never done addition or we have never regrouped with subtraction or whatever the case might be. It's as if they've never done it before. And so a lot of times students with short term memory, you're looking at their homework and you're like, but. We did it, but you do so great at it, but you do great with all these prompts that I give you, but then to do it later without the prompts, without the help, without keeping it fresh in their mind, they forget. And so that to me is the most common thing that we see is kids who are doing so great and then they lose it whenever it's two hours later or they come back after recess and it's like, oh, we've forgotten, but honey, we just did this, you know, two hours ago. Well, that is too long for them to keep that in their short-term memory. You also might see examples of this if you change your routine in some way and a student has to remember, oh, at this time I need to go there, or at this time I'm going to do that, Um, and they just don't remember. Yes, you told them that at eight o'clock in the morning, but now at one o'clock when that schedule change is happening, they don't even remember that it happened. And often that is due to short-term memory difficulties. And so we, if if it is something schedule change-wise that is extremely important, we might need to give them a visual. We might need to help them remember. At 1230, we might need to remind them, Hey, remember at one o'clock, you know, now you're going to go to speech where usually you don't, or whatever the case is. We have to help them remember that because it really is a difficulty for them. In my mind, this is one area that we really have to notice that kids are struggling with this and do something early. Before it's we've practiced 10 math skills and it's the third quarter, and I'm just not realizing that, hmm. You know, it seems like you don't remember things for a long period of time. And so we really have to kind of be on top of it. We know with special education that so many strategies that we use for our students really benefit all children. And so in my mind, the three things that I am going to um, share, I think are good to teach to all students or help all students do, because just because you're not special education does not mean your short-term memory skills are strong. That does not mean that you're not still going to benefit from some of these things. So in my mind, I like to make cheat sheets for my students whenever we're first learning a skill. Now, in my mind, a cheat sheet could be different than what you uh, might be thinking, but for me, a cheat sheet is an anchor chart. And I hate my own handwriting. I have terrible handwriting. I want everything to be as cute as I could create it on a computer, but, I can't do that, so I call them cheat sheets instead of anchor charts just to lower the expectations there. So I like to make cheat sheets with my students so that we always have something to reference and I can use it, but also my students can use it on their own as well. I also like to take pictures of my cheat sheets so that I can print them and give them to my students Or I'll let them make their own version of the cheat sheet so that they have it in their classroom. We can tape it to their desk, tape it to the inside of their planner, their binder, whatever the case might be, so that they have that for later. So we know that when they get home, they are not going to remember how to do this. Either myself making a cheat sheet or the student making a cheat sheet can really help them have something to jog their memory later. Strategy number two really piggybacks off of that, and that is to train your students to make notes. Now, obviously, as special ed teachers, there are so many factors, so I don't want you to be like, oh my gosh, does she think first graders are going to make notes? No, I don't. But I do think that just like you're making a cheat sheet, it is okay for students to write at the same time. In some cases, I have like a template of my cheat sheet and I make copies of that for my students to then fill in some of the blanks as I go or as I'm creating that cheat sheet. So train your students to make notes. That's going to look different if you're with third graders than with fifth graders or middle school or something else but train them to take notes because it's great if your teacher is gonna make a cheat sheet for you but you're not always gonna, going to have a teacher who's going to make a cheat sheet for you. Sometimes you might have to write down the steps on your own so that when you get home and you're doing homework, so when we come back after lunch, so when we're do, doing morning work tomorrow, you remember some of those steps. And last but not least is really more of a self-advocacy um, strategy, something that Students need to be aware that, hey, this is hard for me. And sometimes when we come back after recess, I might not always remember. And so I have to ask for additional examples. And so that is my last strategy. Teach kids that it is okay when we come back from recess or when we're doing morning work in the morning or when we haven't practiced this for three days, it is perfectly okay. And everybody will be happy and praise you for asking for additional examples. So if you were to have a problem on your morning work page or your student has a problem on their morning work page and they're like, man, it's been a long time since I've done this, I'm going to go ask my teacher if she could give me another problem and help me with that and then I'll still do this on my morning work page. But now she can refresh my mind. Now, some teachers would say, let's just do this together. And that's okay too but just teaching students that you have to be an advocate for yourself. You're not gonna know and you're not gonna remember every single thing, and that's okay, but what are you going to do about it? You can't sit there and just write down any old answer. You can't sit there and leave your paper blank. You've got to be an advocate and you've gotta go ask for additional examples. And in my mind, I literally have students who will do this and I have trained them to ask for help, I've trained them to say, can you give me an example of this problem? This is an accommodation that we are allowed to give to our students, even like on testing and things like that, additional examples. But we have to teach our kids to ask for it. We have to teach them that we can't have an additional example to every single thing that we do, but if this is a problem that we haven't had in a while or whatever the case might be, they it is okay to ask for additional examples. So train your students to do that just like you would train them to make notes. Um, In my mind, I think of it as I know that I have, I don't wanna say poor short-term memory like some of our other students might have, but I know that if I talk to a teacher in the hallway and they ask me to email them something or text a parent If I don't write it down, I will not remember. Or there's maybe like, I guess, a 50-50 chance that I will. I might be sitting at nine o'clock at night thinking, what did she ask me to do? And it might might come to me, it might not. So it's important for me, when that happens, I'll say, oh, can I grab a piece of paper out of your recycle bin and write that down? Could you put that on a post-it note? And then when I walk back with this group of kids, hand it to me, that way I remember. It's the same thing. We know ourselves and we have to teach our kids to get to know themselves. If this is going to be something that is a problem, we have to have some strategies and some things that we just do to help ourselves. The next type of memory is long-term memory. And this is just where we're talking about the area of the brain that stores long-term information for an extended period of time. So think about what you did as a child. I remember this from when I was 10 years old. I remember that vacation that we took. I remember this activity that I did in fourth grade. Long-term memory. Things that could be hours, years, decades, very, very long periods of time. Now, I almost didn't even include this because I thought, you know what? we're dealing with kind of the day to day, we're talking about this in math, we're talking about that in math, which would be some of these other types of memory. Maybe long-term memory isn't even as relevant. If we're talking about things that kids learned years or decades ago, maybe that's not as important. Um, as some of the others. And, And as I got to thinking through it, it's like, no, a lot of these are caused by neurological medical conditions or head injuries. And those could very well be some of our students. So I don't wanna just gloss over it, but I do wanna say I do think that some of the others might play a more common or a bigger role in what you're seeing every day but you could totally have students with TBIs or who do have some type of neurological medical condition that could be impacting their long-term memory. And so I think you need to know what to do and how can you handle that. Relating to math, we might see students who, they, you know what, they were kicking butt and taking names when we were learning geometry or learning area and perimeter or some of these bigger tasks, they, they could do it. They knew exactly what to do but then maybe a unit test or a semester test or an end of year test or something that you're doing, you know, high stakes testing, or yeah, we did this back in August and you were doing great, I'm not even concerned, but now, whoa, it's like we've never seen it. Some of that could be an issue with long-term memory. In my mind, as teachers who only see students for a year at a time, you know, like a classroom teacher, they may not even know that a long term memory issue is even present. They may not realize it because they might think, well, this kid is the top of my class. And he always gets great, you know, does great on weekly tests and does good in that particular, you know, chunk of of curriculum and not realize, oh my goodness, we've forgotten all of this or we, we need a good refresh on this. So As a special education teacher who sometimes you're with students for years, it's important for you to know and you to be on the lookout for things such as this. And then have strategies to put into place to help them with some of these things. So I'm gonna go to a tried and true, something we all know, and for me, I love, um, mnemonic devices. I think I can remember so many, if it was taught to me with a mnemonic device like please excuse my dear Aunt Sally or my very earnest mother just ordered nine pizzas or whatever, I will remember it because it's just ingrained. It's just there. It's something that I can just easily remember. Now, that's not to say that all students will remember all mnemonic devices and that you can um, assign a mnemonic with every single thing that you teach. I don't really think that's going to work and not everything can be a mnemonic, but When applicable or when you can come up with something like that, use it. Um, To me, they work, they help, and for students with long-term memory, it might be just enough to jog their memory and say, oh, okay, divide, multiply, subtract, bring down, does McDonald's serve burgers, you know. All of that is important and something that they need to um, remember or could help them remember some of those critical things. Another very, very big and important um, just routine to have is to always incorporate spiral review. Part of me, whenever I'm giving examples of like, oh, we did area and perimeter a long time ago, we did geometry a long time ago, we haven't gotten to it. I don't even wanna say it out loud because I think spiral review is such a big and important piece of school doing things all the time you can't let it die. You can't say, well, we did place value at the beginning of the year. Don't you know? No, we have to have that spiral review. We have to be constantly bringing that up so that our students can see it and practice it and they don't risk losing it. So when we're talking about long-term mef- uh, memory difficulties, I'm not saying that kids won't have difficulty and that we just, it sh- if, if they do, it's our fault. But if we are not spiral reviewing all of the time, then I think we're leaving kind of some things on the table. We're leaving knowledge. We're leaving things that they could practice and really ingrain into their long-term memory or utilize more short-term memory instead of long-term memory because it's just something that we do all the time. I also think that visuals, just like how I said, make a cheat sheet, train kids to take notes, things like that are helpful here as well. Because if students have, say, an interactive notebook that has notes or visuals for them, if they did it in August, and if they finished and put the time, effort, and energy into it at that time, they can reference it now three months later, four months later, whatever that long-term period is, so that now, They can jog their memory and say, oh yes, that's what we do next. That's the next step. That's how you find area. So giving students visuals to help them organize and remember that information is critical. It's also helpful if students are saying things out loud, even if it is only to themselves, whether it's reading out loud, telling the steps, I, I really love to have students go home and tell your mom how we did this today. And this is helping ingrain it into that long-term memory. Kind of like if you can teach it, you really understand it. If you can teach somebody else, you're going to understand it better yourself. If you're saying it out loud, reading it out loud, even if you're playing school in your room after, you know, when you get home, those things help you remember some of that content for a longer period of time. I feel like in the grand scheme of things, just saying things out loud is not going to make sure that we remember it forever and ever, but it's definitely one of many things that we could do to help our students. We could also use technology to help us remember information. So in some cases, um, that could be a YouTube video to help remind us, oh, yep, these are the steps. Or maybe if it's not a YouTube video, maybe it's something that they have made for themselves. Maybe they're digital notes. There are so many tools that technology can bring to us if we just use them. And again, sometimes that is awareness. Understanding that long-term memory is a difficulty. And so we've got to plan ahead for what we may or may not remember. The last type of memory is one that I'll be very honest, I had not ever heard this term until more recently. And this is sequential memory. And so this can go both with auditory sequential, like things that you hear in a sequence, or visual sequential, so things that you're seeing in a sequence. And sequential memory is just the ability to remember things that have been heard or seen in a sequence. And so when we think about math and we think about how repetitive, one reason I love to teach math is because it is so repetitive. If you know how to do one addition problem, you know how to do them all. If you know how to do one division problem, you know how to do them all and you just have to practice those repeatedly. However, that's really easy when you have good sequential memory skills. However, if that is lacking, you will not remember that order, that sequence, the steps that you would do to complete that particular problem. Some indications that students might struggle in this area is if they're struggling to recall things like the days of the week, the months of the year, the letters in the alphabet, things that kind of have a order. They are supposed to go in this way and they're really struggling to remember or to recall the order in which those happen. And so if you're seeing that in some of your students, yes, obviously we care if they know the order of the dates of the week or the months of the year or the letters in the alphabet. However, if you're seeing that, also know that that's going to spill over to their ability to do math and you could see the exact same things come up in math when it comes to completing multi-step or longer tasks when it comes to math because again they don't remember that sequence that order or those steps you know I have been trying to give the cause or tell or research that part a little bit Um, the strategies are what I would consider strength that's what I, I can help kids get over that hump but I want to know what the cause is. And to be honest with a lot of research, I cannot find an exact answer as to why students might struggle with this. The best answer that I can kind of read and draw my own conclusions is they're struggling more than likely with that auditory or visual component thinking back to some of the visual perceptual and auditory perceptual difficulties that we've talked about more than likely, if they're struggling in one of those areas, we might also start to see that sequential memory also be an area of weakness for them. So if we think, hey, they're not memorizing or they're not remembering how to sing the ABC song. They're not remembering whenever we're singing or chanting or doing some of these other things, you know, for the days of the week or the months of the year or counting to a hundred. Some of those things that you do just so often and so repeatedly, auditorily, they may have some auditory difficulties that are causing them. if you're not hearing and processing that information well, then how the heck are you going to remember all of that then later, because you never processed it completely at that time. The same is true with visuals. If you're struggling to do something or to remember something that you're seeing visually, then how would you remember it later? I I hope that makes sense, but if you're struggling with a processing error, error or difficulty in one of those areas, then it would only make sense that that memory of doing an auditory task or a visual task would also be a challenge for students. And so I think it's really important that we know that these are auditory and visual based so that we can flip what the other is. If we're struggling in the visual, then we've gotta do more with auditory. If we're struggling in the auditory sense of things, then we've got to do more to be visual for those students. So we've got to realize that If they're struggling in an auditory manner, we can't just keep doing things out loud. If they're struggling visually to process information, we can't just keep giving them visuals. It's got to be the opposite or find a way to have a good balance of both of those so that students are grasping both auditory and visual um, things that you're discussing in class. And you know, I've got some strategies coming your way for those struggling with sequential memory. So I like to have students repeat steps out loud. And this could kind of target those who are struggling with auditory or visual by having them repeat. They're not just listening to you, they are saying it. Um, This also could help those who are struggling visually because then they're hearing it, they're saying it, they're just incorporating other perceptions there, other tasks instead of just listening or seeing. So have students repeat steps out loud after you. And this could be something that you do every now and again, like, I want you to repeat after me. Or maybe it's every single day as you're doing things, we, you might say, all right, put your finger in the ones column. The students, put your finger in the ones column. What is seven plus three? What is seven plus three? And they're repeating what you're doing instead of just passively letting you run the show and you're just doing all the talking and all the thinking and all the doing and they can just sit there and kind of absorb it or not absorb it, in which case you're encouraging them and requiring them to be more of an active participant. Having them repeat those steps out loud engages other things in the brain and then we're not requiring them to focus on just listening to what you're saying. As we've said with some other difficulties with memory, making things into a song or a rhyme or a mnemonic, something that they're going to remember every single time that you have to do that particular task. Especially when we're talking about all of these steps and kids remembering the steps. If we could turn those steps into a song or a rhyme or just something that we say regularly, it will help them remember, okay, Divide, multiply, subtract, bring down. Okay, DMSB, does McDonald's serve burgers? All of those kinds of things just help kids remember and flips it into a way that might be something that they can, and for some reason, we remember things like that, even though we may not remember. Okay, divide, multiply, subtract, bring down. So give kids something to remember, to hold on to, and hopefully that will help them you can the good part about that is you can make that auditory or visual sometimes with our mnemonics if it's a another word we can display that word with the others you know you can color code you can do so much to show it so that they're seeing the visual but also hearing it and then really you're playing to the strengths and weaknesses of both students or both kinds of students there Also give them plenty of opportunities to practice ordering those objects or those steps. So it could be something that you have created where it just lists the tasks uh, or the steps in that task and they have to put them in order. Again, if they had some type of cheat sheet or anchor chart or some notes of their own, an interactive notebook, whatever the case might be, by letting them Sort those objects or put those in order, put those steps in order, and then gluing it into a notebook, they have. Practice that as well as give them their own resource and their own place to look back. And that could be something that you do on a regular basis. Every now and again, I'm gonna print this paper for you and ask you to put the steps in order or the colors in order or the days of the week in order or whatever, give them practice or let them attempt to put things in order and tie it to a song, put it in a rhyme, some of those types of things. Because eventually they're going to be practicing the days of the week, in the months of the year over and over and eventually it might take a, quite a long time but they will get things like that but you know what we're not going to practice or some don't practice telling time and counting money every single day like we might saying the days of the week Or you might do that every day in second grade, but what happens when you're in fourth grade and you don't do those things as often or on a daily basis? So it's just something to help keep in mind because when we tell time, there are steps to that. We look at the little hand. We see what, you know, where is it pointing? We look at the big hand. We count by fives. There are steps to doing that. Now, as you become more efficient, Maybe you don't do all the steps, maybe you have some times on the clock memorized, but that takes time and practice and good memorization skills to be able to get to that point. So if they need to follow those steps, but they're struggling to remember those steps, we have to help them know exactly what to do and when to do them. As far as my notes go for this episode, I'm done. But I have one more thought that I just can't shake and I just can't conclude without actually talking about. And that is this. Everything that we have talked about with the visual perceptual, the auditory perceptual, motor, spatial, all of those things, plus memory, I have given very explicit examples about how they relate to math. And this series is all about math. But keep in mind, all of this also goes hand in hand with difficulties in reading. And so we have to keep some of these things in mind when we're also thinking and talking about reading. So I'm not gonna go on that tangent. I've re-recorded and rerecorded because I just end up rambling. And I don't wanna do that. I don't wanna muddy the water or confuse things. I'll save that maybe for some future episodes. But keep in mind that all of this All of these strengths and weaknesses are also going to show themselves in reading. So be on the lookout for how are you seeing how their short-term memory is a strength or a weakness for them in reading, in math, in writing, in spelling, in so many other areas of their life. Be on the lookout for it. And then a lot of the strategies that were math-specific could also probably be adapted or spark an idea for how you could do that in reading or spelling or science or social studies. So yes, this series is about math and yes, that's where my mind was going whenever I wrote all of my notes, but I think it's important to remember and to acknowledge that these things will show themselves in reading as well. For example, if you are a student who is struggling with sequential memory, And yes, you're struggling to remember all of those steps in counting money and telling time and long division and all of that. You're also probably the same kid that is flip-flopping words like on and no or was and saw because you're just struggling to get all the right pieces and all the right parts in the right order. So those things show themselves in other subjects as well. So yes, we're focused on math but keep in mind and be on the lookout for where you see these things pop up or maybe even begin predicting oh well if they're struggling with this what else is where things need to be in order where else am i going to see students who have to remember things from one day to the next one week to the next Um, if i'm struggling with my short-term memory and we read part one of a story the day before I may not remember that and I need a good refresh on what did we read yesterday so that I'm ready to begin reading today. So keep some of those things in mind and I don't have it on my calendar yet, but maybe that will be a future series on um, kind of how a lot of these same strengths and weaknesses will show themselves in reading. All right. I feel much better and I feel like I can actually conclude this episode. So I will see you next week where we will talk all about low expressive and receptive scores and then how you can help your students, especially in the area of math. So I'll see you next week, my friends. Well, my friend, that's a wrap. Thank you so much for listening to the Resource Room Podcast. I truly, truly love to help and support other special ed teachers. Because of that, I run a Facebook group just for us. Search the resource room and request to join. You can also check out my website, theprimarygal.com, for blog posts, pictures, and more information. Until next time, have a great week.